Welcome everyone to Football Friday presented by Football Addicts Anonymous. Mark and I are back together. <laughs> First time in a long time. Feels good. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll see how many times I go in and out. And we are three days. It is draft week. Happy draft week, guys. Great to be here. Yes, happy draft week. Excited for Thursday night and our other special on Wednesday night as well, which I'll talk about at the end of the show. Chris already posted on our Instagram, but uh, yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. FCS playoffs. They they were they were pretty good. All over the board. Um. Other than that, not a lot of news. We'll get through. Uh, those couple things, and then we'll play our favorite Monday show game. Talk about what we're doing this week, and then, um, yeah, talk about draft night. So, let's get into the game recaps here. Starting off, a game that did not think it was going to be this close. Number two seed, Sam Houston State. Moving on, beating number 10, Monmouth, 21-15. to 15. Tony Musket uh, through the game-sealing interception. Uh, I forget which guy was the one that caught that. I feel like it was Thomas, Jalen Thomas there, but I'd have to check to be sure. But yeah, Eric Schmidt, not a good game at all. You, yeah, I mean, you started off with quarterback ending, sealing it, and I think that's where this game starts and stops, if that makes sense. Sam Houston State doesn't roll because of quarterback play, in my opinion. He shows up to play and has a better game. I think they get separation, and, and it's not this close. Well, the play-by-play doesn't tell you who intercepted when, so... I don't know which guy it was. But, yeah, I mean, I was scared for, you know, the parlay that I had while this game was going on since this was the first one of the day. No other games had really started or were close to ending. Um, and mm-hmm. I was like, I looked up early and I was like, oh, Sam Houston stays up 21 nothing, got it in the bag. This was at the end of the third quarter they were up three scores. Uh, you know, don't do anything on their on their drives in the fourth quarter. Monmouth comes back. They get eight points on the first touchdown, seven on the second. And then I'm like, oh, Lord. Sam Houston's ace giving them the ball back again. And they're going to go down and win it because they got that two-point conversion on the first touchdown. Luckily, Bearcat defense held and... Uh, Moved him on. You can't you can't win ball games with your quarterback play like this deep in playoffs. But let's say that it gets better. I think that it tested their defense, which will bode well for them if they can get, you know, their mm-hmm. offense rolling in the playoffs. Yeah, um, I'm I'm just looking over the uh, the team stats here for this game, and. Monmouth controlled the game there. They had almost double the possession. They had 39 minutes to uh, Sam Houston's 20 minutes. So Sam Houston's defense really showed up in this one to be able to stop Monmouth from scoring any points pretty much. Yeah. 
held them to punts uh, every drive uh, except three in the first half. The other two of the other three ones, they turned them over on downs, and one was uh, Musket's first interception there. And then, yeah, like I said, second half, they held them to all punts ex- until the fourth quarter. Um, and, yeah. But, I mean, good, great showing by Monmouth. Uh, I think against the the number two team mm-hmm. there, and yeah, the, the guy like said the the guys that usually produce for Sam Houston State on offense didn't do much at all other than Ramon Jefferson. The thing um, about his ninety five yards rushing is fifty six of it came on his touchdown run, so you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jaquez Ezard, their leading receiver, really didn't do much at all. Uh, he ended up with only one catch for six yards. Uh, and he also threw one that was incomplete. But um, yeah, I don't think they're going to go far unless Eric Schmidt plays like he was in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible that Mammoth didn't win this game because I'm still looking at all these stats and Mammoth pretty much doubled them on everything. Except like the turnovers are the only thing that Sam Houston won on because they didn't turn over the ball at all. And uh, they had the two interceptions. So it's just crazy that it, that this game turned out the way it did. Yeah. But uh, Sam Houston did move on to the second round. Second no. Monmouth covered plus 11 under 63. All right, next game here. First four games are all four of the seeded teams. So, number three, James Madison taking down number 11, VMI 31 24. Another one. Very close. Did not necessarily expect it to be this way. Um,. But yeah, I mean, Seth Morgan threw the ball fifty times again. Though that was my one of my questions on Friday: Will Cole Johnson, the Duke's quarterback, you know, be able to lead JMU to a championship? And almost didn't <laughs> move on in this one with his performance here. We talked about VMI playing in a tough, in our opinion, at least my opinion. I thought the SoCon got tougher as the season went on and James Madison maybe didn't play as a tough schedule even though we know the pedigree. I think Seth Morgan for, for VMI, if he doesn't if he throws one interception, I think they win this game. I mean I, I think it's that even he throws fifty times but has that the, the three interceptions and I think that's just what hurt him. Yeah. The uh the JMU running game, I think, well, bailed out huge, Cole Johnson. Yeah. Uh, it's the the game started off the scoring. Okay, cool. I didn't hear a single word you said about the JMU game. I don't know if the computer picked it up or not, but I didn't hear a single thing you said. Well, yeah, I was still recording, so uh, did a little bit, but. Uh, yeah, let's get the uh, screen shared again here and go back. So, 
Yeah, Cole Johnson did not uh, perform up to expectations in this one. Like I said, that was my question on Friday. Will Cole Johnson be able to lead JMU to a championship? And uh, he's lucky that his running backs bailed him out in this game, beginning the game with Jawan Hamilton. Or not beginning the game, but beginning the scoring uh, Jawan Hamilton ran for 99 yards and a touchdown, sparking his 171-yard day there. What I was saying was, I believe that Seth Morgan, if he doesn't throw the three INTs, let's say he goes for one INT, VMI, I think it it wins this game, in my opinion. JMU had a great running game. Even VMI got things going on the ground. It's just those three interceptions. You're throwing more. I get that. But our, our what I was saying, what we were talking about on Friday was VMI, I thought, played in a tough SOCON. I think there were a lot of good matchups during mm-hmm. league play. And he throws one less touchdown, definitely two. I think they win this game, whether it's by a field goal or a touchdown. Yeah, I, I definitely knew this one was going to be a close one um, based on how VMI has played this year. But, uh, yeah, like you said, Mark, if uh, VMI didn't have those turnovers, they probably could have won this game. Yeah. Another, just like I said about Monmouth, I think is another good showing, even by a losing team, especially for VMI. Their first ever FCS playoff appearance, uh, you know, only losing by seven to the number three seed and the number one ranked team in mm-hmm. the FCS rankings. Yeah. Um, Jacob Harris, though, he is a freaking star. And luckily, he's only a junior, so he's coming back next year. Him and Seth Morgan, I believe Seth Morgan's a junior, too. No, Seth Morgan's a freshman. Okay, so yeah. We'll have Seth Morgan and Jacob Harris again next season. Not that I'm condoning this, but what's unique about VMI is it is a military school, but they're actually not enlisted in the military. So if, if one of the, if, you know, Jacob was to graduate, he could transfer to a school, another school, whether that be like someone like Penn State that they might need some help. I don't know. Georgia needs receivers. Georgia. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I'm not advocating for that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, yeah, also for uh, Antoine Wells there for JMU, his stats, just like Jawan Hamilton's, kind of inflated. Uh, his touchdown was a 62-yarder from Cole Johnson there. Five interceptions, there they all are at the bottom. JMU's James Carpenter, Torres Carroll, and Wesley McCormick. VMI had Ethan Castleberry and Kaiser Samuel as the interceptors. I guess that is the – I'd have to big – you're 100% right, Rusty. Running game's 100% the difference in this game. Because uh-huh. even, even JMU had two interceptions. So. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, that's what Cole Johnson's issue was early in the season, <clears throat> especially their second game when they played Robert Morris. They had, he had turnover issues, had turnover issues in the third game as well um, against Elon, where they only won by three. They had gotten it rolling the last two games they played, um, and then coming in against a tough key debt team there. So, Percy Agi Obese there, uh, he is great as well. 
VMI covered plus 18 over 46. Hmm. All right. Let's go to the number four team seated team here. Jacksonville State rolling Davidson 49 to 14 here. Zion Webb not having to do much in this one. Really, the running backs uh, did a lot for him. Uriah West, Josh Samuel, Pat Jackson also scoring twice. Uh, once on the ground, once through the air. And yeah, it was nice little walkthrough game for Jacksonville State and the Gamecocks. Um, and yeah, Davidson didn't, didn't get a lot going in this one. It's incredible to me, though. The one thing that stands out to me, they must have been doing very big, like, chunk plays here because Zion Webb only completed nine passes but still got 239 <laughs> yards. Well, one was the 55-yarder to Pat Jackson there. Guys, the two takeaways from Friday was, can Davidson get to 10? I said they'll get to 10, so they, they got to 14, right? And I said they need to channel their inner Steph Curry. Well, that's what Jacksonville State did. They just had big chunks, long long yardage, like three-pointers, scored and walked off, walked off the field. Said, I'm done. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to see here what some of their big plays were. But, yeah, 67 yards. That was one of Zion Webb's two carries. Was sixty-seven yards. <laughs> then I mean, he ran in one for a touchdown. <laughs> I think for me though is like, yeah, if you have the stats up, like both quarterbacks threw fifteen times, right? You would think if you're down a lot, either they're scoring fast and you have the ball a lot. So, what was the time of possession? I'm just curious. Well, I, I was just about to say that. that it's incredible. Davidson held the ball for forty-two minutes. Wow! Wow! And Jacksonville State only had it for eighteen minutes and scored forty-nine points. In 18 yep. minutes. Yep. And are you looking at a bunch of – were there a lot of fumbles? No. There was – no, it was all – Jacksonville had all the turnovers. They fumbled once and they threw an interception. Davidson didn't turn the ball over at all. See, yeah. that's a remarkable – okay, if you saw – if any coach saw that, you'd be like, what? It was 49 to 14? That's just talent on the field sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. you can't replace – if I can't keep you in front of, in front of me and I can score in two seconds, doesn't matter if I – not two seconds, but 20 seconds. It doesn't matter if I hold the ball long or not. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the drive charts here. Jacksonville State, like I said, first touchdown they had, Zion Webb ran for 67 yards. That was the first play of the drive. <laughs> he didn't run it in for a touchdown, but he got down into Davidson territory. Second uh, – touchdown drive which was their third drive overall because the second one uh, Zion threw the interception there but I mean their plays Josh Samuel Josh Samuel 15 yard run on first down they had a false start Uriah West 11 yard run on uh, first and 15 there third and three they go 16 yard run from Uriah West they have another eight yard run Zion Webb to Logan McVeigh for 34 yards down to the Davidson six. They punch it in with your iOS six yards. You know, these other ones, 13 yards on first down. 
One reception. 27 yards on second and 35. They complete a 35-yarder on third and eight. Go in, touchdown there. One play, 22 yards, touchdown. That makes up for it. Well, this is. I just Can't noticed something, too. This is probably why they had such a high uh, possession time, too, is that Davidson ran the ball 64 times. Yeah. So that's going to uh, make the uh, possession time go up a little bit. Which, if you're overmatched, you do want to try to run it more if you can get yards and control the ball. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. in basketball, if if you're overmatched, you're not trying to play a game in the 100s because you're going to get uh-huh. beat, right? You're trying to play – you're trying to win a game 48-47 instead of 198. Uh-huh. Another 58-yard completion. Uh, Jacksonville State ran half as much. They only ran 28 times. And they had 20 more rushing yards than Davidson did. It was 222 to 202 in rushing yards. Well, like I said, it, for a majority of their drives, their first play, they were getting 10, 15-yard runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing, Jacksonville State only punted once in the game. Had two turnovers. All their other drives were touchdowns. And that makes up for the time of possession. If you're not punting and you're scoring, that means you don't have to hold the ball. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, Davidson technically did have two turnovers, but they were turnover on downs. Yeah. Wow. yeah. All right. Unlike the first two, not a good showing for Davidson. Uh, <laughs> Jacksonville State did cover, minus 21. And... Jacksonville State hit the over by themselves, over 45. Can't beat the Dakota teams, though, playing that way. Just, eh, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. They, they score that fast. Their offense is very good. Zion Webb, Uriah West, Josh Samuel, those three together. Uh, and actually, I, I don't remember you know a big-time receiver for Jacksonville State throughout the season. I just have re- always remembered their running backs – yeah, I guess Jason Jones. Yeah, there's Pat not there's Jackson's not really got a speed on that, but they use Petway. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. So that, that might be an issue down the line. Yeah. You know, they don't have a star wide receiver, but when they're running the ball, you know, with your iOS Josh Samuel there, and I was surprised. I was actually very surprised that Zion only ran it twice, because he's usually more of a dual threat, and I right. feel like he usually runs more than. A lot more than that. At least like seven, eight times. Um, but yeah. Let's go to the number one seeded team here. Another blowout. South Dakota State Jackrabbits rolling. Holy Cross 31-3. to We all called that one. Not a lot I thought there would be a little bit more scoring though on South Dakota's part. Not a lot of stats to go over in this one. Uh, Mark Gronowski didn't have to do a lot. He did score three touchdowns. He Again, though, this is a second straight game that I'm surprised the quarterback only ran twice um, because he is a major part of their rushing attack for South Dakota State. But Isaiah Davis did get it done on the ground with 156. Uh, the two quarterbacks for Holy Cross, not good at all. If you can win a ball game, though, without getting 
your best player banged up, I think that's kind of how you go about it. Does that make sense? Like, they might have had 45, 50 points if he becomes that dual threat. But what if he's that dual threat and he gets a shot from Holy Cross and he's out the rest of the playoffs? That I think that's kind of some of it. I mean, you do what you have to do to move on, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Pierre Davis, or not Pierre Davis, Pierre Strong, also for South Dakota State, had a solid game. I just didn't put him up here. 13 for 76 on the ground as well. And the Yankee brothers, I think this is the first time all season we've had a Jack, uh, South Dakota State game that both Yankee brothers have made it on. Um, Two touchdowns, Because they touchdown. both scored. That's mm-hmm. the only reason they're both on. Because otherwise, Jackson would not have made it on. I would have just put Jaden uh, as the leading receiver in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm just going through the play-by-play right now, and I came across the uh, the last play in the second in the first half there when uh, South Dakota State attempted a 63-yard field goal. Unfortunately, they didn't convert that field goal, but I wonder how close it actually was. Because 63 yards is a long pretty long way for a field goal. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, South Dakota State couldn't hold Holy Cross at the end of the first half. Holy Cross kicked our field goal with 29 seconds to go. <laughs> but, yeah, I love the Jacks. Uh Unfortunately, the book I bet at doesn't have a FCS championship bet available. So, I throughout the whole season, I could never bet on, you know, the Jacks to win the FCS championship. Well, he also bets on a book where they don't break your kneecaps if you don't pay. So I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But I, I do believe, though, that, that South Dakota State is, you know, they have the easiest path, first off, in being in the top of the bracket. Um, I don't think they win. But, yeah, I think they definitely get to the semis at the very least against Jackson State, most likely. South Dakota State did cover. Minus 24 and a half. Remember we were talking about that on <laughs> Friday? And I, I was said like, there's no way they're coming across know. the U.S. I didn't know, dude. I was nah. like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they can cover 24. I should have taken it other than, rather than the other spread bet I had, the only spread bet of my four-teamer, um, which we'll talk about next. But, yeah, they did cover minus 24 and a half. Under 46 as well hitting in this one. All right. Let's go to the game of the week here. Ended up not being the game of the week. <laughs> this is the second time, though, the second time that North Dakota State has done this to me, where I called it the game of the week. They did the same thing when they played North Dakota, uh, and they just rolled North Dakota. They did the same thing against Eastern Washington. Number six, North Dakota State, taken down. Number nine, Eastern Washington, 42-20. We all know why. What the hell happened in this game? We all picked Eastern Washington because we thought they could score. And I said, any time that we all pick it, we all lose. But they were scoring. I was watching it. I was watching the first half, and then I got sidetracked. I was watching the first half, and it was 20-7, to EWU. And I was like, bro, we got it in the bag. We're good. North Dakota State... Can, 
has not been able to keep up, you know. And I was like, bro, what <laughs> actually happened? 35 straight? Unanswered. Like, how does that happen, bro? <laughs> Eastern Washington just got too comfortable. I mean, the thing is, is that Eastern Washington didn't have a chance to get the ball a lot, as you can see. Uh, the two freshmen there just annihilated Eastern Washington's defense. 163 and 143 for Ganella and Bussy there. Loop key chipped in a touchdown in 46 of his own. But I said that, though. I said the way to stop North Dakota State, it wasn't Hunter Loopkey this time, but it was the other two guys. If you stop the running game in North Dakota State, then you win. They're passers right now at the quarterback position are not competent enough and don't have enough skills at this point in their careers to beat you uh, consistently through the air. So this held true in this game, obviously. Well, you know another reason why North Dakota State won? It's because Cam Miller started. Yeah. They, they finally listened to me, I know. <laughs> and I mean... I knew, I knew Cam Miller was the better player uh, uh-huh. over Zeb Nolan, and you know, he finally got his opportunity and won the game, scoring three three times. Um, but yeah, again though, I don't know. I think if you just go into a forty-six bear defense, stack the box, play straight up man on the back end. Make Cam Miller beat you? I don't think he can at this I, point. It's just not impressive, the quarterback play. You, I mean, you can't sustain it when you go into other competitive. I, I look at the Eastern Washington quarterback play, and yeah, there was a one interception, but if you give him the ball in the second half after that 20-7 lead more times, all they did is North Dakota State said, okay, I'm going to control the ball, I'm going to do some different X's and O's, and we're going to get on top of you. They didn't give the ball back to the quarterback play. And you're going to run into a team that says, all right, fine. Then we're going to make your quarterback beat us. You know, I, they did the opposite. We're not going to let your quarterback have the ball back. Does that make sense? Where someone needs to say, okay, we're going to make your quarterback beat us. Yeah, the the running disparity was ridiculous. Four point. <laughs> 422 to 64. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Eastern Washington got nine drives the whole game. Um, same thing with North Dakota State. And the thing is, in the second half... I mean, you're, you're fullback. I mean... <laughs> they scored f- uh, four straight... Or no... Three straight touchdowns because it was twenty-one to twenty at halftime. North Dakota State, and uh, but I mean the thing is, so it went touchdown, punt, and then touchdown for Eastern Washington. They're up 14-7. North Dakota State goes down twenty fourteen. The and then you know. I don't know why that says field goal because they didn't get a field goal. 
Yeah. I let's all let's all be honest. That that place is a hard place to play. There's been no. I've watched games. If you're an at like we're football addict anonymous, I've watched <laughs> games from beginning to end on you know ESPN three or ESPN two or when other people wanted to watch bigger games or or baseball or whatever. It's a hard place to play, and even though coach, you know you you've had players cycle through you've had one or two different coaches but they're all successful they all have the the culture and the climate of winning but they all make adjustments i've seen them be be down in games go into halftime and totally go okay we're scrapping the game plan that we have and we're doing this this and this this is our strength we're going to make them do something besides what they're doing which is you know successful at the time and they switch it and teams don't always respond. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know. that thing that made me mad is I went with the stats over my head because in my head I was like, "Well, North Dakota State, you know, they've found ways to win this year." Not scoring over 30 in most of their games. Uh, you know, quarterback play is not that great. And then I was like, Eastern Washington, however, they scored a ton of points. Not really sure about their defense, but it shouldn't matter if you're scoring enough. And I was uh-huh. like, they can, they can lose by seven or, le- seven or less. And then they score 42. <laughs> that old adage, I've even said it on here, like the game's changing, you have to be able to score points. Well, defense can still win you ball games, boys. But yeah, in my head I was like, yeah, North Dakota State's probably going to win this game. But I was like, nah. Not, not, not Eastern Washington. <laughs> Eastern Washington had been my team. And the thing is, is I don't, Tololo didn't play. Or no, he did. Four for 38. That's another issue, though. Best receiver only got 38 yards. Um, yeah, disappointing game. Thought it was going to be a lot closer. Um, we'll see in the in the bracket here coming up. I would say I'm not a prediction because I still don't think their quarterback play. I'm, I'm with you. Their quarterback play is just... It's not what has been in the past, and that's hard when you've had quarterbacks of their pedigree. But they're almost a game like this almost makes you go, man, they're going to win it all. But at the same time, their quarterback play is not where it needs to be because you still have really good teams out there. Yeah, and they're going to have to face a really, really good team next week, which we'll see. Uh, Dom Jones there, the only interception of the game for the Bison. But yeah, uh, North Dakota State covered minus four over fifty-five easily. Oh, excuse me. All right, the only, only upset of the weekend came in the next game here. Well, we called it though too. Number yeah, I say this isn't an upset to me. All number three of fourteen, us Southern <laughs> Illinois taking down number three Weber State, thirty-four, thirty-one. Last second. Touchdown, Stone Labanowitz. Was it not pretty? 
Uh, yeah, it was a great throw. Stone Lebanowitz to Branson Combs there with 51 seconds to go. And I was actually kind of scared because I was watching the end of it, and I was like, oh, Bronson Barron's driving him down. He's going to get that field goal in. Didn't get close enough, unfortunately, for the Wildcats there. But, yeah, I do. Stone Lebanowitz has some swag to him. I thought about texting you, and I said, ah, oh, he's with his parents. He's he's checking out Marquette. I knew he would appreciate it, but I said, ah, oh, I'll let him have some family time. It, that throw was nice. And I think the reaction, the offense, I think it was the offensive coordinator had a coach together. <laughs> they were like hyped up after they got that because they knew it. They knew the call was gonna go to that back corner. Um, but yeah, Avante Cox. This is the opposite of Eastern Washington. You know, Avante <coughs> Cox, SIU's best receiver, had himself a day, six for one twenty and a touchdown there. Sixth round pickup. So very nice one. Um, yeah, I mean this is a good duel. Bronson Barron, not mm-hmm. too bad. Had the two interceptions, but scored twice. It's just one of those competitive games you like to see. Does that make sense? And we talk yeah. about about Weber State, you know, not having the type of competition that you see in other conferences, but they still put up a fight. It's not like they went into this game and got rolled by a Southern Illinois team that was definitely tested in the NBC. It was a game that you could watch as a football play, football fan, player, coach, whatever you want to call yourself, and go, all right, th- this is fun. Let's see how this plays out. And you walk away going, that's good football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called this one, though, on Friday. I said that Weber State, the, them playing these close games, is going to catch up to them. And, of course, it wow. did. One or two they, plays. Well, they were 4-0, and and they won four games by, like, five or less points or something like that, right? Yeah. So I knew that those close games were going to eventually catch up to them, and a team like the Salukis was a team to do it, and obviously they did. Your exact words Friday But uh, I'm looking over the... What was that? One or two plays, and you can hmm? be 0-4 or 1-3 is what you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm looking over the uh, the team splits here, and this is about as even of a game as you can get here. I mean, the time of possession was only decided by three minutes. It was 31 to 28. They both had two turnovers. The total yardage was only separated by 21 yards, 443 to 422. <clears throat> they had 27 and 24 first downs. So it was a really close game all the way around, but... The Salukis just had that last-second touchdown to win the game. This is what the Super Bowl should have looked like if the officiating wasn't one-sided. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry, we're talking about uh, football in the spring. Sorry, I got off track there. <laughs> sorry, guys. No, yeah, I mean, uh, SIU had to come back, though. Uh, you know, they were down 14 points in the early second, 21-7 to there. Got it to within four at halftime, 21-17, and then took over from there winning the third quarter, um, and then winning the fourth, actually tying in the fourth quarter. They got their lead in the in the third and um, never let it up there. Actually, they did, technically, but <laughs> had to come back at the end. But, yeah. What Do you know what year um, 
Stone. Stone is. I believe he's, yeah, junior. So see him next year too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's got some swag, man. Well, yeah, I mean, and he's been a revelation because he wasn't the starter early right. on in the season. Right. We talked about that. Starters got hurt. Yeah. Um, and Stone came in and has played very well. Uh, even for a three-loss team, obviously, like I said, their Missouri Valley is tough. But uh, also Nico Gualdani there, good good throw, <clears throat> three-yarder, three touchdown to Cole Stewart. I did not see that play, unfortunately, so I can't really uh, expand on how that play happened or uh, what it looked like or, you know, if it was a called fake kick or just a fire play. But, uh, yeah, that was – that happened in the third quarter. That was their, the only score of the third quarter. So I did not – I I can't caught the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, not, not much going on the ground um, for SIU. Daniel Wright there for Weber did add 91 yards and touchdown to go with one catch and 17 yards. Other than that, uh, Mitchell Maxfield there, the interceptor for Weber, two corners, James Caesar and Jonathan Thompson for the Salukis. Southern Illinois cover, plus five, uh, and over 49. Extra, one extra turnover, one extra interception has been a, a, a theme in the winter in about three three games that we've talked about so far. Alright, Mark. I know you're gonna I know you're uh, gonna be sad on the next slide. <laughs> I told you guys that that all I don't know I don't think I picked Missouri State on Friday. I don't I, I think number seven, North Dakota rolling number twelve, Missouri State forty four come to an end. Two ten Tommy Schuster was fantastic. Uh, two quarterbacks combining for Missouri State. Nothing to really look at there. That's just a, that's just terrible numbers, guys. Uh, didn't help Missouri State that Hayden Galvin returned a ball 90 yards for a score. I, you get beat special teams. You get beat in the turnover category. You get beat quarterback play. That's I. What else are you going to hang your hat on? <laughs> yeah uh they literally got beaten every single category yeah i mean <laughs> except actually uh here's a here's a little bit of a win for you mark missouri state had less penalty yards they were four for 41 and north dakota was six for 74 so there you both go both are bad i as a coach i only want three and under no um yeah, I mean that's good that you had less penalties, but geez, this this is not a game to talk about. They got their butt kicked. Is there is there a better way to say that? I don't, you know, I know that you have to press a button when we use profanity. So it was an old fashioned butt whooping, but on real time, I would say old fashioned whooping. That's just all it is, guys. Yeah, and I mean this is a great game for North Dakota coming off a month of rest. They haven't played since they got yeah. destroyed by North Dakota we State. We were talking about that Friday, yeah. So, yeah, and and I'm I'm glad that Tommy Schuster had the game that he did uh, because I wasn't too confident in Tommy Schuster uh, throughout the early part of the season, but 
Uh, I mean, the guy that I do love, we I've talked about him a million times, Otis Weah, mm-hmm. uh, short little dude mm-hmm. there. Uh, <laughs> had, an, had an okay game, you know, a five five per is really I mean, that's, really that's good. good. It's just, yeah, I mean, I just see 64 yards is not not a lot that great. Uh, but yeah, uh, they didn't have to do anything. I get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to. They didn't have to do anything. Uh, Bo Belquist there, four for 88 and a touchdown. Uh, Garrett Mag. Mag has actually got to look out for. I thought he was more of a tight end, but uh, they list him as a wide receiver when you click on him. So, um. I'm surprised, though, that the uh, possession time was as close as it was, too, based on the score here. It was only 29.05 to 30.55, so under two minutes difference there. I just... Yeah, that is really weird because you think that North Dakota would even I don't but they forty four on that difference of time of possession is something. That's again getting beat by your talent, getting beat by turnovers. Can't blame it on the penalty because you just said that Missouri State won won the penalty game. But yeah, I mean, again, I I thought North Dakota had a shot at the title early in the season when they took down South Dakota State. They still only have one loss. I'm not sure, though, at this point. I need to see what they look like next uh, week. If they can win next week, I think, well, then definitely, you know. Both of these teams are also really bad on third and fourth down as well. Because um, yeah, Missouri State was 5 for 17 on third and 0 oh for 3 God. on fourth. And North Dakota was only 3 for 11 on third and 0 for 1 on fourth. So neither team did anything really in the third and fourth downs that'll lose you ball games you know what's going to make the the missouri valley conference richer with north dakota state now that makes four four missouri valley teams into the second round that is half they have half of the dang playoff teams in the second round you're almost guaranteed at least one (laughs) team in the in the semis yeah almost (laughs) Mm-hmm. If I'm thinking, that's that's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we already said well, we're, we're them having right? five so. out of the. When I went to Missouri State, like you had all the Dakotas, but Illinois State was pretty good back in the day too. When I was going to school there, Missouri uh, State was terrible. Well, still, Illinois State was all right to start the season. Then they started losing, and then they're like, "Nope, we're done. We're gonna opt out." Northern, <laughs> well, even though, like Northern Iowa was the oh yeah marquee and in, in the Dakotas actually joined NBC later on. Like, my freshman this year... This was North Dakota's first year in NBC. Yeah, the Dakota teams, and I mean all of them, were in different league in, in my freshman year. And then South Dakota and North Dakota came in my senior year. All right. Uh, North Dakota covered minus four, over 45. Luckily, Missouri State scored, and there you go. Got the over. I didn't think they were going to lose that bad, guys. <laughs> All righty, last game of the playoff. First round here. Number five, Delaware, taking down Sacred Heart, 19-10. Another one. Sacred Very covers. close. Did not think it was going to be anywhere near this. Nolan Henderson, though, as goes back to quarterbacks, though. Nolan Henderson, not really anything. Marquez McCray had an absolutely terrible day for Sacred Heart. Uh, he has a better day. They but, might win. Yeah, well, I mean, Julius Chestnut is the heart and soul oh of Sacred gosh. Heart. 
31. Just put, give him the ball and let him go, fellas. He did all he could for uh, Sacred Heart and uh, just was not enough. He couldn't get enough help from all the other guys there. there there's a quote on, that I thought of in the first game, Sam Houston and Monmouth and Delaware. We talked about Joe Flacco, the last quarterback, but we talked about Sacred Heart. We didn't know anything really how they would score, but – you know, Vin Diesel, I hate to say this, it's cliche. He has this quote in The Fast and the Furious, and there's about 12 of them. But I guarantee it's the original one. And he says, you win by an inch or you win by a mile. Winning is winning. Mm-hmm. And that's what Delaware did. They they found a way to win an ugly game, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of surprising for Nolan Henderson because he had played very well in their other five games. And uh, especially a seven-point win over Villanova, which was their best win this season. Um, you know, I, I just didn't think that Sacred Heart's defense was going to be able to stop Nolan Henderson. They have Theric Pitts there uh, at wide receiver. You know, the, the running backs, uh, Dejon Lee had a horrible game, only ran for 35 on 13 carries. Spruill. Also, Corey Spruill also did not do that much. Did better than Lee, though. 12 for 52 uh, on the ground. So, yeah, Sacred Heart's defense really held the ground game, and I think that's where Nolan Henderson felt it, uh, felt it one of the defense. I know we went back and forth on the over-under on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm again looking at the team stats here, and everything points to Sacred Heart should have won this game. They won in almost every category, pretty much, um, except for the turnovers, which that's the killer right there. Like you said, Mark, before, that extra interception is what killed them. And, uh, yeah, this game actually did get close. I mean, it was 12-7. to 7. Yeah. What what really mattered in this game, though, was the safety Delaware got. Um, was a bad snap uh, while the punter was in his end, end zone. Was way too high. Was it out, out of the back, or did they talk? Yeah, him? no, it was out of the back. Right. It, like, he got it. He touched it. He tipped it. But it was right on the, his fingertips. And it kind of fell back, hit, bounced like one or two times, then went out. Because um, I saw it. I, I did not get to watch this game, but I saw the score on my phone when it was 12-7. to 7. And that was the first thing that I thought to myself was, there's no way, I don't care if it's the first quarter, say, uh, even in the first, if it's 12-7, to 7, this game's not covering the total points. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing in this game was – Julius Chestnut and the the Delaware running backs not doing much. That that was the announcers kept talking about that. They probably had the the same graphic up, Chestnut versus Dejon Lee, uh, probably at least three or four times during the game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that man's a workhorse, and uh, he is the driving force behind the Sacred Heart offense, and he is a junior. So. Interceptions here, two for Delaware, Kedrick Whitehead and Noah Plack. Arsheen Giles there for Sacred Heart. 
Sacred Heart covered easily. Plus 20. Yeah. Under 44. So, um, there is not an updated top 25 as far as I saw. There might be. Because uh, I checked it earlier in the day, and there might be one now. Um, let me just check. There is not. I don't think so. No. Which I kind of didn't expect there to be a new top 25 um, with a player no. starting. I, I was, like I said, I was surprised last week that they had one, but I guess that was the end of end of regular season poll. Right. So I guess yeah. they might do one at the end of the playoffs like they usually do in college after bowl season, in FPS after bowl season. So I mean, if, if they did have one, though, for this week, I might finally get my wish of Weber State getting knocked down a little bit. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, well, but, uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if they, if they, if the stats poll comes out with an end of season one, just like the FBS does. Um, but we don't have a new top twenty-five, but we do have a new bracket update. I know it's really small. We should pick winners. It was, you know, what I could get. I mean, that worked that well for us on uh, Friday, but <laughs> so. Next round now, we have in the top left, South Dakota State. They will host Southern Illinois, another MVC matchup mm-hmm. there. Number three, James Madison. Ooh. They are hosting North Dakota. That's going to be saucy. The bottom left, we have Delaware heading to number four, Jacksonville State. And then North Dakota State will head to Texas to play number two, Sam Houston State. Has a good shot. I think so, three out of these four are pretty solid games. I think they're all solid games. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, you know, Chris, I feel okay. like in my mind, you're thinking the Delaware Jacksonville State game is not going to be that good? Yeah, I think, well, maybe not that good, but uh, I just think it'll be the worst of the four. Let me put it that way. I can see that. I. Yeah, I mean Delaware's defense is good, but Jacksonville State's pretty good, and it's at Jacksonville State. I think the best game is going to be James Madison, Madison and North, North Dakota. Dakota. The yes, most interesting I mean. game to me is North Dakota State, Sam Houston State, because what mm-hmm. teams are we going to get? Are we going mm-hmm. to get the Sam Houston State that only scored twenty-one against Monmouth, or are we going to get the the Sam Houston State that scored seventy-one on Nichols State? <laughs> this year um also north dakota state are we going to get the team to score 42 on a high-flying eastern washington team or are we going to get the team that consistently was scoring in the 20s uh throughout the year i think the most unknown game is actually the south dakota state yeah. and southern mm-hmm. illinois because they're conference foes and it could be decided by a field goal or either team could win by two touchdowns 20 20 points. I mean, you know what I'm saying? 14, 20, whatever. Because they're conference. Like, maybe someone got a good read on them and you have a different game plan. Or or maybe talent just plays out. I think that's the most... If I'm a better, I don't know. Like, you, you're the better in the group, but I don't know how you would even bet that game. Whatever the over is, I'm taking it. Because I've been, I've been very surprised by SIU's offense the last two weeks. They won that shootout against Southeastern Louisiana, 55-48. And now they win in a high-flying 30-point affair, 
and you know South Dakota State has been able to score as well. Uh, I just think in order for the Jacks to win, Mark Ranowski's legs are going to have to come into play a lot more against a very good Southern Illinois mm-hmm. defense. Like I said, they've been high-flying games the last two weeks. They've mm-hmm. given up a lot of points. But before those two games, they were holding people. Right. They held Northern Iowa to a minuscule amount of points. They uh, you know, beat North Dakota State when they were the number one team in the nation. So, yeah, a lot of interesting games. We'll talk more about those on Thursday night. I think this is exciting. <laughs> and I, they don't have the schedule out either yet, so I, I don't it's, even have time. It's times. like basketball, but football. Come on, Power Fives. <laughs> Let's get a tournament going. Great analysis there, Mark. All righty. <laughs> NFL news here, not that much going on at this point. I am very confident in the fact that we will have a litany of news bullet points by the time we get to our rescheduled show from Friday to Thursday this week. 100%. We might even have to do a new segment on Wednesday. Who knows, Chris? Mock draft Wednesday. (laughs) Are we doing it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that about later. That. All right, first so point, first one here. Vikings corner uh, Patrick Peterson, he is the first player that I've noticed anyways to come out on social media and say that he is wearing a single digit this fall. He will be wearing number seven, which is the number he wore while he was at LSU. I just yeah. – I mean – I, I I don't mind that situation um, with him changing his number because he is going to a new team and all that. So as good of a player as he is, I highly doubt that there was a lot of Patrick Peterson Vikings jersey sales. And so... I thought he looked good. I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal that he's changing his number in terms of the fans buying the jerseys, but um, I'm waiting to see a player that's established on a team to change their jersey. See how much of an outrage that stirs up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't think corners look that great as single digits. I think safeties. Now, safeties, I think, look fantastic in single digits, i.e. Tyron Matthew at LSU. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about corners wearing singles. When I think of this, I just think about Mike Hughes. He's been through a lot of injuries. I coached him in high school for two years in basketball. Uh, his future with the Vikings is, is, is coming to an end, I believe. I don't think so. They got a lot of – I mean, I know he he looked really good his first six games as a rookie, and that's why they drafted him in the first round. ACL, but then he had his neck injuries. They've, they've added some people. I think he might be someone that could be on the move or, or released to save – cap space i know that's not the news but that's what i think about when i think of the vikings to me peterson's gonna look weird in the vikings uniform no matter what uh, uh-huh. great career with the cardinals in my opinion he, man return guy great on defense all right uh so let's get into some draft stuff here some the rumor mills so First thing here for the draft, uh, the Niners. 
what are they doing at three? They they apparently still don't know. <laughs> um, but it, apparently it's between Mac Jones and Trey Lance. Everyone mm-hmm. was floating that it was going to be Justin Fields. And now we're back on the Mac Jones bandwagon. Are they playing something? <laughs> are they playing a card to make someone think or not think? Well, I mean, I, they have essentially the number I've, one pick. I've heard it. <laughs> I've heard it's all up to Kyle Shanahan. Well, uh-huh. that is what that is kind of what John Lynch said today. He said uh, he's the decision maker, but he'll defer to Kyle Shanahan because he's the play caller. So whoever he wants, essentially, John Lynch will draft that guy. Uh-huh. And you don't always have that. That um, I don't want to say communication, but you don't always have that relationship partnership with your GM and coach, and I think that's what's mm-hmm. what's unique in in San Francisco. I think that's also another thing having a player and in, mm-hmm. in Lynch that is a GM, and then yep. having Kyle Shanahan, who's been around. The, we all know he's been around the NFL a thousand times because of the family that he comes from. And I think a lot more, you know, I'm not trying to drag it on any longer than we have to drag it on, but even in the college realm, that's what teams are doing. You think about college basketball coaches that are now taking over, like Roy Williams retires after, you know, 60 years in basketball. And they they don't call Mark. Get out of here. It's (laughs) Hubert Davis was was an alumni. He's played in the NBA, right? And he's also Uh been on a bench. I don't know any other model that you would want to go to besides someone that understands the NFL and understands the relationships of your players and the in the play calling to say, hey, Kyle, I'm going to make the pick, but 90% of that is going to come from Kyle Shanahan. Uh-huh. Trust me, I know all too well how GM and Coach Buddy <laughs> doesn't work out. I, I mean, Andy Howie and Doug. I.e. Howie and yeah. Doug. Andy Reid leaves <laughs> for Kansas City. Well, that was, yeah. That wasn't Andy Reid and Howie. The fans did. don't like him. I'm just kidding. Hey, I mean, as a Jets fan, I feel your pain there, Rusty. We haven't had a good combination in probably at least a decade, maybe well, longer. Is it really the GM? And I, not, to, not to interrupt, but was it more your owner or your GM with the Eagles? Because even your owner got into it. I think Jeffrey Laurie is fine. Yeah. I think it was Howie and Doug Peterson didn't like each other. That was the issue. But he still won a Super Bowl, and he's still gone. Wow. But, I mean, Jeffrey Laurie is part of the problem, though, because he – I mean, fans have been saying this for a while. Why is Howie Roseman still the GM? But that's the thing that people don't think of is that it was literally only a couple of years ago that they won the Super Bowl, so, and he had built a winning championship team from the disastrous – crap that chip kelly had made the <laughs> roster oh man what so, chip kelly he's a godsend yeah <laughs> so yeah people got to remember that about howie anyways uh i would say that speaking of howie and you know how he likes to move maneuver how he likes to be a trader talk talking to every team I, he's not going to be in on this trade though i already know that because they don't have nearly the money to be in on this trade but teams have been calling the Falcons about Julio Jones. Um, so one thing that is a stipulation of this trade with whoever would want to get Julio, you're not going to be able to trade for him officially until June 1st. That is the you know cap 
deadline there essentially for cuts. So uh, it's if the Falcons trade him after June first, they save fifteen million on the cap. Massive amount of savings there. If they trade him before June first, oh god, no! It is a twenty-three million dollar cap hit with him playing for them. Hours. Oh man, guys! So how do you stomach that? Yeah, obviously the the trade value is not going to be as much when you trade him after June first. Um, what if what if they just let but, him go? Same. Uh, I'm not sure what the release would cost. Oof. I'm sure it would be a cap hit in between uh, for both. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. But yeah, I mean, at this point though. What do we think is kind of compensation-wise for Julio? Let's let's just say it's post because there's no way the Falcons trade him before. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know because he does still have that large cap hit to whatever team he goes to. He probably still has a large price tag. I don't know his exact numbers for his contracts and all that, but. I can tell you. I mean, <laughs> I don't. I even regardless of who he is or who he was or whatever, I don't think he's gonna get a big return. Well, my question. I mean, I know that, and I actually think this is what goes on in in just like at least not like when you call another team, but let's say Chris, you know, Rusty and Mark all work for the New York Jets because Chris is a New York Jets fan. You look at a player like this. Let's say that we blindfold the cap hit, right? What my question first is: What do you think Julio is talent-wise? Is is he is he good enough that we can give away a second rounder, or has he aged where you know I'm going to offer you a third rounder and a sixth rounder? Because three three years ago, like he's good enough to get you. How many times do you have to play Carolina to get 300 yards in one game? Twice for him, you know, like, like, yeah. dang, man, like he's that good. Once, but he's, you know, yeah, three hundred yard game. I remember that. You know what I'm saying? Well, he's knocking. On, I'm saying twice because he was knocking on the door again against him. But what I'm saying is like now, regard. Let's blindfold the cap space. I think Julio Jones is worth a late second round. Well, then you throw in the cap, and you're like, oh no, dude, I'm only giving you. A fourth rounder and a sixth rounder with that price tag. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think his market is also pretty limited because of his age and everything. I don't think that he's going to go to a rebuilding team, kind of like what you your example was us being the Jets right. front office. It's gonna I don't be think a team like the Jets would go after a him much because more established team. Yeah, yeah, he needs to go to a contender if they do end up trading him. So. I mean, let's say I'm that, Aaron Rodgers and I hear that he's on the trading block. Yeah. Don't you know? Like I can't tell you to do whatever with your with your draft picks, and it's going to be a big cap hit. And I know the NFL usually doesn't send money, but in my opinion, like, hey, I'm going to send you a third rounder and a sixth rounder, and you send me some money to offset it, and I'm throwing to Julio Jones, and you just made Aaron Rodgers happy for one. Two more mm-hmm. years. That's yeah. not going to happen because that's not the way that, you know, baseball trades and NBA trades work totally different. You can throw in more cash 
and mm-hmm. we can put a value on this trade where the NFL is like, man, we have seven rounds. We can't really put values on draft picks, and here's your cap hits, and that's it. And that's why I think he doesn't have a – I actually don't think he has a very big trade market. Is, does that make sense? Like, I really yeah. think that he's a great target still, even at his older age, but not for the price hit. Like, they're mm-hmm. locked into a contract. In my opinion, you, you can barely get out of that contract. Am I wrong, right? Well, the three years remaining on Julio's contract, granted, I don't know uh, exactly how much is guaranteed uh, left, but he has a cap hit of $15.3 million in 2021. Uh, lowers actually I think this would be the last year of his guaranteed money that's how it looks like the setup, the setup is uh, so 22 and 23 are both 11.513 million what if it's not guaranteed and we've seen people do like like it like you could they get really creative in the NFL you come in I want you to be under 193.75 pounds you come in at 192 and I can offset your contract into a signing bonus so can you do that and that's where i don't understand that's why i'm not a a gm obviously or a finance manager or or operations director for contracts yet in in a professional league how do you offset that money if i can offset that money into a signing bonus i'll give up a third or fourth rounder for julio jones would you guys not well that's the thing that i've kind of been surprised that we haven't seen happen I guess because the NFL doesn't want it to happen. Because we had the Brock Osweiler trade in 2017 where the Browns essentially yes. bought a second-round pick. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, we see it, especially the NHL deadline, trade deadline was a couple weeks ago, and we saw a bunch of teams, uh, specifically the San Jose Sharks, got in on a couple deals oh, yeah. Yeah. where they just took salary for, like, fourth-round pick. Right. And, you know, I'm surprised these trades that have happened, you know, Carson Wentz deal, massive cap hit for the Eagles. If they, if the NFL would have allowed them to include a third team that has cap space to take on half of that then cap went, hit, oh yeah. you know, Which the Eagles the could have signed someone like else. Baseball lets you do that. Yeah. All the other leagues let you, let you, you know. People let, will take minor league players to yeah. offset. Yep. They'll let other teams take money for draft picks, but the NFL, I don't believe wants to let that happen at this point i guess before we long story short because we've been on this for a while and maybe some people know what we're talking about or don't like i guess my opinion from you two that i would want let's say cap space we don't even worry about the cap hit what do you think julio is worth nowadays if you're if you're trading him straight up is he worth a third rounder still is he worth a fourth rounder? Is he good enough for a second rounder? He's never been great. Like, he's a big body, but they, they covered him with who they had in Atlanta, and people say he's always should have caught more touchdowns, but he's still a big body. He's had some drop rate. His his drop rate has increased over the last few years. I'm not, as a GM, I could care less about your name. It's what you could do for my offense. Well, see – Kind of going based on what I was saying before, he's most likely his market is pretty much all contenders, which means the draft picks are all going to be late round or later in the rounds, probably in around like the twenties of each round. So 
If you're Baltimore, that's another thing you got to take into consideration. If you're too. Baltimore, you could get him for a third rounder. Yes or no, Chris? How about that? That would be like what, like around the eighties, I think, in the picks. So yeah, yeah they have. The, I mean, they have the twenty seventh in the first. So it's yeah. Yeah. So you think you can get a better third rounder for Julio Jones for let's say the let's say you want him to have him there for two years. Does he does he supply you for two years, or do you think he has one year left? I think he's got two years at least. To me, that would be, and I'm not saying it can happen because they've. We all know what Baltimore's done with their front, all you know, defensive line, and they just traded to Kansas City with all those draft picks. And I wouldn't trade those draft picks, but I actually think that's a good destination. Like they're a contender. Lamar Jackson needs someone, and everybody talks about needing someone downfield. Well, no, he just needs an established receiver that's big enough to plant his foot, go on a route, and say, get the F out of my way, I'm catching Lamar's pass, whether you're in front of me, behind me, whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I mean, I, regardless of what the price is, any team that trades for him is getting a Hall of Fame player. So, 100% right. Uh my only issue with Julio is that catch more touchdowns. Yeah, doesn't have enough touchdowns. He has the most yards per game in, in NFL history, ninety-five point five. So I'm with you. Exactly. You use him to get down the field, and then you have another player for a red zone threat that you, you throw got, to. You win by scoring touchdowns, but that's also as a GM a leverage point. Like, hey, I'm going to give you a little less because he doesn't score touchdowns. Well, yeah, I mean that, that's the thing, though. You think. Of how big Julio is, God, and mean, you would think he would be so a major big. red zone threat, but he just does not have the career touchdown numbers of a guy that you would think. But uh, that's another being that big. That's another bad contract in the Falcons organization for another discussion. <laughs> Let's phone in Jack to get, <laughs> get it, talk about his All Falcons. Right, guys. <laughs> All I'm right. always the one that makes us go longer than we should. I take that blame right here. So, uh, one men make twins. One more draft nugget here. Uh, the top ten could get interesting. So there um, are teams apparently calling up into the top ten. Specifically, what I've heard is to get in front of the Panthers because the Panthers and the Broncos are the wild cards. No one knows uh-huh. if they're going to take a quarterback or not. It, it makes it fun. Um, so three teams that I heard mentioned: the Eagles which is not for a quarterback. It's just how he, like I said before, how he calls, he's, he's in on everything. He, he calls just to see, you know, what the price would be to get up. Uh, I mean, he's already made one trade so far, so yeah. he could easily make another one. And, and now they have the picks, you know, to go back up if they want to. Um, mm-hmm. Second one is the Vikings. Uh, that would be for an offensive tackle. Most likely Rashawn Slater. Um, you know, the Panthers, again, are another team, though, that's looking for possible that could pick an offensive tackle. What I've heard from the Panthers, though, is that they like Sewell more I've, I've than Slater. That. I've heard that. So, you know, but they could blow smoke and say, yeah, I mean, we might think about taking Slater. And then, you know, that would make the Vikings want to come up. So. And the third one here is the Patriots for quarterback, uh, presumably Justin Fields. 
that's what I've heard anyways, that the Patriots are locked on Justin Fields if they go up that high. So, Yeah, because I think that there's a good chance that Trey Lance does fall to the Patriots. So if they wanted Lance, I don't think they'd have to move. But uh, uh, it's kind of I – I don't know why. I kind of just thought about it when you were talking about the Panthers and how they prefer Sewell. Um, I know it's very unorthodox for it to happen because division rivals don't usually trade, especially that high in the first round. But is there a scenario where the Falcons might trade back to eight with the Panthers so the Panthers come up and get Sewell? You know how I would construct that trade, actually? I would since, act- since you brought it up. I, I mean, would actually do that all. I would trade back. Probably. How I would construct that trade. I think you can get your franchise quarterback. As far as the Panthers go. Mm-hmm. So, I would say, all right, Falcons, we want number four. We want Julio. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. And we will give you... Some money. <laughs> this year's first, number eight. Next year's first. Mm. And this year's fourth round pick. You've got to get another pick in there. They would owe me a second or third round. I was going to say a third, but I switched in my head to fourth. Third, <laughs> third, and I would do... Because you get your established. And that, that gets you your offensive tackle. Yep. You already have Sam Darnold, who you I'm with for. you 100%. And then we you are have, all in the same rate you wavelength. You have Julio Jones, <laughs> DJ and Moore, I think the Falcons, and Robbie Anderson. And I think the Falcons could get their franchise quarterback at number eight. Yeah. If that's what they want, they would have they would have the pick of likely Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Well, that's the other it's thing Trey why Lance I brought the Falcons too. Where because... where is Justin Fields from, <laughs> and where was the last time they really had a marquee player that packed the stands? I know that Matt Ryan has put up numbers, but the Atlanta community has never really embraced him. Boom. Mm. I think that's a great. Uh, can can we phone? Do you want to phone Arthur Blank or Arthur Smith? Well, Arthur Blank, the owner. Yeah, for the Falcons. I, know. I was and saying then, Arthur Smith, the oh, head yeah, coach. Yeah. And then I'll I'll go. Uh, what, who do you want to go? Owner or coach at Panthers? I can get Matt Rule. Okay, he All coached right. at Temple. I almost went there. All right. right. All right. Connection. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that that's why I brought up the Falcons though because. They are also a wild card at four because there's been rumors about them wanting to trade back and stuff. And uh, it was funny because I was watching uh, Good Morning Football this morning and they had a whole segment about the Falcons trading back and they had all these mock trades. And uh, one that kind of piqued my interest that I saw was a trade back with the Giants at 11. The Giants would be trading the 11th overall, their second round pick this year, a first next year, and Evan Ingram to presumably come up and grab Kyle Pitts. Here, here's the thing that we were talking about on the podcast no, the last time was like who has ever not traded back and who has traded forward. I'm all a believer in hoarding things if you get a ransom. Does that make sense? Like, okay, Panthers, mm-hmm. I'm number four and you want to trade up. Well, I'm going to take this, this, this and from you, and I still think you can get a good player, and it's going to make us better in the long run. The only time that you see people like really trade up is if they just really hit 
on a player, and it's a franchise game changer. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. I'm all for trading back. If you don't, if you, especially if you think like this draft, in my opinion, is kind of weaker in some areas. Well, fine. If you really like your offensive tackle, well, you come up to number four, and I'll trade back. Even if you take a player that I thought was going to be at number eight, I'll take the best available, and then you gave me three or four draft picks to be really good the next two years. Fine. All right. Especially if it's the same division, and that's the hard part about. Like the Falcons and, and Panthers. Interdivision trees. It's how many people mm-hmm. in your division are really going to go, okay, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so a couple other things here. Two retirements today. Sean Lee, Cowboys linebacker Sean Lee, he is done after 11 years with Dallas. Just couldn't stay healthy, man. Um yeah, I mean, it was great early on in his career. Like hit any- the injury bug and has never really been the same. I mean, like anything in Dallas, they said they're open to coaching possibilities. Keep, yeah, keep it in the family. I mean, he, he was good when he was on. You can't deny that he wasn't good when he was on the field. The other retirement today, uh, former Cardinals and Steelers offensive tackle Marcus Gilbert. Uh, I don't know how many years he played. I think it was 11 or 12 like Sean Lee. Because I don't think that he was on the Super Bowl team. Uh, I don't think he's that old. So He, wasn't he was on, drafted he wasn't in on the f- 11. In 11? Okay, mm-hmm. so he wasn't on the Super Bowl 43 mm-hmm. team. Neither was he on the Super Bowl 45 team that they went and lost to the Packers. Because that was the 2010 season. Um, 10, 10, 11-year career? Yeah. yeah. Or no, the Cardinals... Yeah, yeah. Packers was 2010. Cardinals, 08. Yeah, okay. But yeah, anyways. uh, Marcus Gilbert, I was very sad when he left Pittsburgh. Uh, He was the right tackle for a million years, and then they traded him uh, for (laughs) sixth-round pick. So... um, but yeah, uh, two two really solid guys uh, retiring today. So good for them. Um, the other couple things here: the Seahawks looking for running back help. Um, they are working out former Texans third round pick running back Deontay Foreman. Uh, never really knew where he went after the Texans. Uh, I don't, nope. I don't recall squad, where he went. <laughs> he was only I didn't with, even know he was still in the league. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, he was only with the Texans for two, three years uh, after he got drafted in, I believe, 2017. So um, maybe 20, uh, it's 2018, I think, actually. So, yeah. Um, Seahawks might be signing him and also the last thing here that i have the bucks they exercised the fifth year option of defensive tackle vita vea so he's been he's been he's 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 their next guy all right that's gonna get a shot extension so (laughs) not a shot an extension yeah. yeah 
He's played some football is all you can say. All right, that is all the news for today. I hit my first Nerfie today, so we're one and one on the Nerfie train. Uh, if for anyone that doesn't know that what that means, it's no, no runs first inning. Um, and, yeah, great, uh, great betting. Nerfie Nation is a real deal on Twitter. Go check it out, Chris. You need to hop on the bandwagon. So, it is time to play everyone's favorite Monday afternoon game. Would you rather? The three football-related ones all have to deal with the news segment. So, um, the first one here, we talked about Julio. Talked about possibly teams wanting to trade Julio. And I was trying to think who who was a comparison to Julio, and there's really not. That's in the league right now. Uh, Calvin John. Oh, sorry, he's retired. Actually, I should have I shouldn't have gone Amari Cooper. I should have probably gone Devonte Adams. Just thinking about it in my head now. Uh, I don't know if we want to do that. Just like not uh, just imagine that that's Devonte Adams' picture instead of Julio's, but. Um, DK Metcalf. I just maybe the only reason older. the only reason I thought of Amari because they're both Chief. Alabama boys. Yeah. So yeah. that's the only reason I thought of Amari. So Chris, go ahead. Well, wait. Are we doing Amari? or Are we doing Devonte <laughs> Adams? Go with the picture on the screen. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, because I was going to say either way, I would pick both of them over Julio Jones. Hmm. Um, I mean, we already kind of went over all the things with Julio. He gets the yards. He does. But he doesn't score. For whatever reason, he can't score the ball. Amari Cooper, on the other hand, has been the epitome of a number one receiver with Dallas and in his first few years in Oakland as well. He, I think he's probably one of the more underrated receivers in this league right now. Um, because when you look at anybody's top five receivers, I don't know if he'll be on that list, but I think that he's had the numbers over the last few years to be in the top five receivers in the league right now. Would you rather, the question is, uh, at this point in time in their career or ever? And ah, is, is that the question or right now? It's at their best. Oh, Julio Jones, hands down. I just – he he's a huge target. I love huge targets. I've seen what the Rams have – why would you take little guys at the 11th pick and they fizzle out? Bailey, Tavon Austin, just things say, like that. I thought Tavon was eight. <laughs> he was number eight. Sorry, not a, I said 11. I just – I like big targets, and, you know – he hasn't accumulated the red zone touchdowns, but is that coaching? Is that not having another receiver? I know Roddy Roddy White has been there to teach him some things, Lord, Roddy White. things like that. Like, but if you know that your number one target is one guy, to me, like, isn't it easier to shut that person down? You put him on someone with a legit number two. You know, if if for some reason Green Bay could get him, I just think that would be. Phenomenal. I know the cap hit is big and 
But that would be solidifying, like, okay, we got Aaron Rodgers. This is our last glory run with Aaron Rodgers because he's going to leave because we screwed him over. I I would try to get him if I was the Packers. He's a big target. He's caught balls. He's won games in colleges. He's given everything to the Falcons. Now, don't get me wrong. Mario Cooper's pretty good. I think he's underrated. And he's been successful at two teams where Julio's been successful in one team. Yeah, I I I would take Julio, because uh, I think Amari is kind of in his prime right now, um, in his mid twenties, but uh, Julio at his highest point was pr- well, it, it kind of hurt him because Calvin was still in the league for a couple years uh, when Julio first entered. But, um, yeah, Calvin Johnson and Julio Jones were probably the two most dominant receivers uh, when both of them were still playing t- uh, in the league. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Julio, obviously, we know, has fallen off, has had injuries. Uh, Amari has had more injuries, for one. But, uh, yeah, Julio was just the most dominant receiver for a stretch of time uh, in the NFL. And he was consistently, I'll even go to the fantasy route, he was even the number one fantasy wide receiver probably for three three years, I would say, uh, in a row. Him and Antonio Brown there uh, in the 2010s. So, yeah, I think Julio, like I said, I don't like that he doesn't score as many touchdowns as he would like, but, um, yeah, Julio in his prime is a lot better than Amari in his prime. And Amari's on a better uh, maybe I just Maybe I just have a soft spot for Cooper, though, because he has been on my fantasy team in the last couple seasons where I have gotten the number one seed multiple times, but then we fall apart in the playoffs and lose. But that's not my point in the argument. Oh, I'm just saying. I think that's why I have a soft spot for you. For, be uh, quiet. You take Julio Jones. Trust me, Chris. I kidding. know. I mean, in our in our <laughs> dynasty league, bro, I got the whole Cowboys offense. So <laughs> he does generate down the field, man. He generates. Alrighty. What's the next one? The next one, like I said, all three of our football ones are related to the news. They're, they're related to the news. Let's so. do it. Next one here. So we also talked about, um, you know, the Niners. Who are they actually taking at three? So I know we've done this oh, with. Gosh. I know we've done this with a couple of the quarterbacks, the top five quarterbacks, but I don't think we've done this comparison before. Oh, that's a. Who are the Niners taking? Mac Jones or Trey Lance? Who would you rather have, Mark? This is an unfair question. <laughs> I actually, here's what I, I'm going to answer this according to the 49ers. I actually think that they have more of a Mac Jones on their roster right now. I know that he doesn't have a lot of reps at Alabama. He does look good. His receivers made him look good. But BYU is kind of known for taking like or not BYU, sorry, San Francisco taking BYU quarterbacks 
like Steve Young. I mean, Steve Young was pretty good in college, but he wasn't like, hey, Joe Montana style, but they took Steve Young and he panned out for him. I actually think Kyle Shanahan is very comfortable in himself. I'm going off the personality of the coach, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see Trey in a 49ers uniform. Does that make sense? I think that he looks at Mac Jones and said, okay, I've got Jimmy. They're both about the same. They can both get down the field. He learned under a Tom Brady. I'm going to take someone that can move a little bit more outside of the pocket. People aren't really saying yes or no on his on on what he can do, but they know that he's talented, and I think he fits the game system of what I'm calling the plays. Yeah, I mean, uh, you said you said 49ers, so you know, you got Bill Walsh and their history. Uh, I'm gonna go with a, a different Bills. Uh, mentality, Bill Parcells. Um, I think Mac his Jones his quarterback really thing. Good, he had a thing with quarterbacks. I don't know if you know, Mark. He didn't like quarterbacks that didn't have many starts in college, uh, and neither do I really. Trey Lance only had they both. They both actually don't have a lot of starts they in don't. college. They don't. But when you look at them side by side. Mac Jones has played the harder opponents. He had a lot more, hit a hell of a lot more better players. I like his arms on his team I love his than North strength. Dakota State had for Trey Lance. But I think another factor was Mac Jones already he played this year. Trey Lance only played one game in 2020. So that's a long time to only play one game. Um, I didn't forget about that. So I, I mean. I don't know. I, I personally would go Mac Jones. Uh, I think he's the more ready quarterback. I think Trey Lance is a little raw for my standard. Um, Trey Lance obviously is a lot more um, better. Uh, his mobility is a lot better. And he has a, he has a better arm, too. Uh, he has a stronger arm than Mac Jones does. Uh, but I just think if, if the Niners are going to go, you know, I know Mac Jones is probably not going. Whoever they pick is probably not going to start with day one, because they're all they're they're they've been keep saying the whole off season we're keeping Jimmy, we're Which keeping I Jimmy. Is, I think is a good thing. Not to interrupt you or or before Chris makes his pick, I answered it like what I'm what I think the 49ers making it kind of drama. I would be more comfortable taking Mac Jones. Is that because? My butt would be on the line at number three. I don't know. I, I actually think yeah, I've, I've liked some of his throws. I love that he's looked at Tim Tebow as a, as a leader and competitor. But I'm not so sure that I wouldn't even do something at that trade. Does that make sense? Like, what if I have everybody's head in a swivel and I actually trade it because I like Jimmy G? Is that an option or are they taking a quarterback? They're taking a quarterback, and I think, I think they are. But I, just, I don't think they're wrong whichever way they go because I think both these guys fit Kyle Shanahan's scheme very well. I like someone that learns under someone too, whether that's Aaron Rodgers being good, Patrick Mahomes. I don't think you should start them in day one. Chris, here are you going with? Yeah. Uh, well, you guys both went with Mac Jones, right? 
he that was your he ultimate coaching standpoint. I actually think they're going to take Trey Lance. Yeah, I think that the 49ers ultimately will pick Trey Lance too, and I personally would as well. Um, I mean, Rusty, you you said the point about how Alabama played better opponents, but Alabama is the best team in the country. So Mac Jones had the best receivers, obviously. Devontae Smith winning the Heisman and all that this year. He had the best offense pretty much in the entire league. So the rest of the team made him look better than I think he actually is. And uh, I forget who I heard say something about it, but Alabama has not produced a solid starting quarterback in the NFL. scares me. Possibly since Joe Namath back in the <laughs> – Late 60s, 70s, maybe. Um, But uh, the other thing that stands out to me, too, is, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Trey Lance undefeated in uh, his college career? I I think he was, but I could be wrong. Um, But, yeah, I just think that Trey Lance had less to work with, so it was more about his skill set than it was for Mac Jones. And I think that uh, throughout their college careers, you were able to see more of what Trey Lance could actually do than what Mac Jones could do. Yeah. I mm-hmm. like it. I like it. You stand by that. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Trey Lance has also never thrown an interception, but I wanted to make sure. And he did throw one against Central Arkansas, whom they played this Thanks a lot. This Thanks fall. A lot. So. God. All right, the last football-related one here for Would You Rather. Um, we got cartoons after that, or baseball, or basketball? It's the, our fourth one is always non-football, so. Uh, I forget, actually, what this one is. But we're going we're gonna to roll with it anyways. Uh, so, yeah, Sean Lee retired today. Um, so... Again, it was hard for me to find a comparison to Sean Lee. Um, I already know. Where um, I grew up on him. And so the the guy I thought of in my head was Kyle Van Noy. Yeah. Um, I could see that. Because, you know, Kyle Van Noy has not really been the best. Uh, he, he was obviously a lot better when he played for the Patriots, who – He's going back to now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'd go Sean Lee. It's kind of biased because I'm a Penn State fan as well as a Georgia fan. So um, he was fantastic when he played at Penn State, uh, keeping up the tradition of linebacker U uh, at Penn State. And, you know, he was great early in his career. We already talked about it, but not so much in his later career when he had injuries. Um, I still think Kyle Van Noy can turn into something, uh, especially going back to New England. Um, but, you know, I, I would have to go Sean Lee at overall career to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking back at their... Uh, Stat or at least Kyle Van Noy's stats right now, and I didn't realize that he played for Detroit ever. 
Yeah. I don't know why. I just never realized that he actually played for Detroit in the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but based on his stats in Detroit versus when he joined New England, it seems like he was more of a system player than anything. He turned it on when he came to New England. And then we obviously saw, obviously saw this past season where he had an okay season, but nothing spectacular for uh, for Miami. So, I don't know. I I think he's definitely more of a system. But being that he's going back to New England, I think that he'll have the kind of season that he used to when he was in that New England defense. And, uh, I mean, obviously, we talked about before when we were talking about Sean Lee's retirement, he was just too injury-prone throughout his career. And, uh, I don't know, I would rather take the risk with Kyle Van Noy being in any system rather than take the risk putting Sean Lee out there and waiting for him to get hurt. I'm going to go opposite of you guys, and the stats actually are, are against me. I would ask you what the record in Detroit was when Van Noy was there, because I forget he was even there. Um, I mean, he was there from 2014 through halfway through 2016. So, so, they, years. so what I'm getting at is he's won a ball games wherever he went. When the Dolphins weren't supposed to be as good as they were this year, they were knocking on the door, right? And so I'm going with a guy that's a locker room glue guy over someone that I actually think is just a big name. How many Pro Bowls was Sean Lee in? In 11 years. Two? I believe. And he's a really good football player. He really is. Sean Lee is a really good football player. And I and I, he was really good at Penn State. I agree. And I would argue that that Georgia, is, they try to sell themselves as running back you. We have some good linebackers at Georgia. But Penn State is right there. They're, they're linebacker you. But he was so injury prone that being on the Cowboys actually put him front and center. What if Kyle Van Noy was on the Cowboys? Would he get as much publicity as Sean Lee? That would be my only question. I think, pure standpoint, Sean Lee is a better linebacker. But Kyle Van Noy has won ball games wherever he's went in three teams. Does that make sense? Like the the Lions, I think, made one wild card during that time then he obviously won with the Patriots and he won this year so I'm going with mm-hmm. him. I'm an outside thinker though <laughs> yeah yeah uh, Sean Lee does have the individual accolades like you said the pro balls then he was an all pro one year too yeah um and Van Noy has not been elected to anything so yeah but you plug him in he might be good at every team that's all I'm saying all right, let's move on to our last would you rather here and going back to the hockey well Uh-oh. because Uh-oh. my Pittsburgh Penguins are mm. in the lead in the East Division right now mm. after their one to nothing win yesterday over Boston. They ha- are on a four-game win streak, uh, and it is actually the Mass Mutual East Division. i got to get the sponsor's name right. This is easy. So the Capitals are in second by one point. Uh, they do have a game in hand over the Penguins, and the Capitals actually do not play tonight. 
They play tomorrow night against the Islanders. Pittsburgh plays against Boston once again tomorrow. So, who are y'all picking to win the East? You don't actually have to pick both these. I was I was thinking about putting all four of the East teams that are in well, right now. I, in you there, know me. I'm never, got, ever, ever in my life picking the Washington Capitals for anything in Ovechkin. Go Gretzky. Go Blues. I'm picking the Penguins. Because you, the four teams in the East, uh, Boston's in fourth. They're seven points back. The Islanders are four points back in third. And like I said, the Caps are one one point back. Uh, the Caps and the Isles have I one, the Rangers have one game in hand on the Penguins. The Bruins have two games in hand. Never the picking the Washington so. Capitals. Whether that's it's like me <laughs> picking the Cubs. Am I ever going to? Are they the playing Cubs a Cubs? full season this year? Or how many games they play? No, it's fifty-six. Usually they play eighty-two. All right, so the games, the season's over next week. Then pretty much, or in a few weeks, oh, yeah. they only have like seven games left, right? Yeah. The blues um, out. So, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to look at their schedules and all that, but obviously Washington and Pittsburgh are, have been two of the best teams in hockey over the last few years. Um, but I'd have to go with the current leader right there with Pittsburgh. <laughs> I just, I mean, like I said, they're the leader right now, so they have the advantage being that they don't have to play catch-up like Washington does. But, uh, I mean, the records are so similar. 32-14-3 and and 31-13-4 and for those two teams. So they're very similar teams. But I just I have more faith in the pedigree of, of Pittsburgh to pull through and win the division. Yeah, and, and right now the Penguins are, are tied with the Caps. For regulation wins, which is the first tiebreaker, they have one game up on the Caps in regulation and overtime wins, which is the second tiebreaker. Um, What's the point differential? One. One. Uh, and like I said, the Caps have a game in hand on the Penguins. Um, but the thing is, the Penguins have very three massive games. Their next three, they're home against Boston. And then they're at Washington twice, twice on uh, Thursday and Saturday this week uh, to end that season series. Then they have Philadelphia for a back-to-back on uh, next Monday and Tuesday. And then they have uh, they're at Philadelphia for those two. And then they have uh, the Sabers at home for their last two games of the season. The Caps, on the other hand. Um, their schedule looks like uh, they are home against the Islanders tomorrow. Then they're home for two, like I said, against the Penguins. They go to the Rangers twice, and then they have a back-to-back home against the Flyers, and they finish up home against the Bruins. So a lot tougher schedule for the Capitals uh, than it is for the Penguins, especially I think facing the Rangers for the Capitals is going to be a tough out. They've been scoring a lot of goals. They're only four points back of the Bruins for that fourth spot. So, um, obviously, I mean, I'm biased. Uh, everyone knows I'm picking the Penguins. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm just saying uh, I was just trying to make it make the stats work in my favor. Uh, no. For my pick, so. Ovechkin and <clears throat> Capitals for me. 
Alrighty. So, uh, before I get into next week, this week we have Chris posted in our on our Instagram. We have our show tonight, Wednesday night at seven o'clock. We will have our mock draft special that will be broadcast right here on YouTube. Um, it is our one and only first round mock that we do. So uh, obviously we've done division specific mocks for three rounds the last uh, couple weeks. Uh-huh. But yeah, we will now do a complete first round mock. Uh, and I think if I get if I find that website we had last year, we can do trades on that website. Uh, if not, we'll we'll be on the mock draft. Uh, network or the, the draft network's mock simulator. Who has there. final say if we disagree? So, um, just well, just we kidding. we need to bring in a fourth person so, they, so we can so we can di- divvy it up. I'll uh, be the only one that disagrees. Div- divvy the the eight divisions up. My voice doesn't so. matter. <laughs> yeah. So and then we will have on Thursday night draft night round one. Um, we will have our football Friday show we'll actually move up a day to Thursday. We'll have that on. Friday at five o'clock on thursday and then draft coverage starting right after that um so we should have a little bit of time in between uh the show and the draft depending on how much we talk about um your bets the fcs preview for the week but uh yeah next monday though will be a good time we'll we'll be here we'll we'll have um <laughs> the FCS recap, everything that went down in round two of the FCS playoffs. And we that's going to be a long show on Monday. It is. Yeah, we got the FCS recap. We got the draft recap. <laughs> we'll be breaking down all our favorite picks. Order some um, pizza, watch. So, yeah, it'll be a good time. And that is the show for today, y'all. Uh, thank y'all for being here once again. Uh, don't forget to follow us on all the social media at FAA Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We also have our website, FAAPodcast.com. Hit the little shop button in the top right and get yourself some cool swag. And don't forget to follow us here on YouTube and our Facebook page as well. Thank y'all, and we will see luck, you Rams. on Wednesday night for our mock draft special. <laughs>